Hello there, I'm Dr. Hacky Reitman, and you're listening to Exploring Different Brains. Hi, welcome to Exploring Different Brains. I'm Dr. Hacky Reitman, and today we're going to have the continuation, because I had a lot of questions for Dr. Steve Perlman, the co-founder of the AADMD. That's the organization for all healthcare providers that take care of those of us with different brains, with special needs, and it's a great need in our country. And Steve, welcome. Thank you, Hackey. It's my pleasure to be here with you. I'm a big fan of yours, too, and neurodiversity. What we've just heard and seen here is just a taking you through history. Shocking that the first big leap didn't come till 2001, really. And how often do you get to meet a guy like Steve Perlman, who was, without him, it may still be the same as it was in the dark ages. And now the challenges that he's taken on one at a time uh, all over the world. It's not just here. It's, it's 170 countries. I've, I saw firsthand the students, the residents, the interns across all disciplines out there being inspired by Steve Perlman and Rick Rader and Tim Shriver and other leaders out there. It was just fabulous. But the challenges still remain, Steve. The challenges are huge, Heck. You know, as you know, um, every, everything we do, well, so my job is to really now currently is to increase access to care for people with intellectual disabilities and to help educate healthcare providers to take care of them and take better care of them. But we're faced with so many barriers. You know, I've lectured about this my whole career, and I've always talked about that one of the biggest barriers is, is payment, finances. You know, they tend... People, they tend to live in the poor. People with ID tend to be at the poverty level. Um, they don't have access to quality health care because the limitations, the problems with the Medicaid programs. Uh, every state has a different Medicaid program, but it certainly is not helpful uh, to people that take more time uh, to, to examine them, to understand their problems. So I've talked about provider, uh, I've talked about finances as being a huge barrier. Healthcare providers don't have the educational background to treat these patients. You know, the medical school curriculums are packed. Dental school curriculums have, uh, have, are packed. And as a, as a matter of fact, we have been fighting dental schools to change the curriculum to educate dental students in the care of people with intellectual disabilities. And we've met a major roadblock. We've fought this with the Council on Dental Accreditation for years. And the only thing, to this date, the only thing that we can get past were that dental students be educated in the diagnosis and treatment planning for a person with a special health care needs. We were never able to get them to commit to actual treatment. And that's because the schools say, number one, we don't have a faculty to treat to, we don't have a faculty to educate the students. And number two, we can't make any money on the schools at, the, at, at doing the services. And so the, can you believe that the only thing we're able to get after all these years and all this fighting 
They would not commit to having a, a dental student actually treat a patient. It's only the diagnosis and treatment planning. And medical schools, so now our new, one of our new pre projects, Hacky, for AADMD is we are actually uh, have gotten a grant to change medical education and to develop education for medical students in the treatment of people with intellectual, with special health care needs. And I'm very excited about that because That's we're great. doing. You know, I, I was lucky enough to uh, uh, hook up with somebody at Boston University where via Skype, I gave a lecture on it to the third-year medical students at Boston University, and I was delighted to be able to give the first-ever lectures in neurodiversity to the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons this past year also. Um, but it's got a long, long way to go. I think what may be, what may be on the horizon is by hooking up with our colleagues out in Silicon Valley is the use of artificial intelligence and technology and apps to make it into a cookbook of sorts. Because right now, it, you hit a wall. I know when I've spoken to doctors about it. And you are tackling that to try to change it, and you're running into roadblock after roadblock. Oh, yeah, but heck, you think as a healthcare professional, this this is what we have to deal with. First of all, you know, it, so it's more than finances. It's more than lack of education of healthcare providers. There's the stigma. And, you know, in your field, you came, you know, everybody, oh, I'm a, I'm a sports medicine guy. Because that's what the elite, in your, in your special specialty of orthopedic surgeon. We only fill half of the fellowships for pediatric orthopedics. That's right. Those are the cream. I want to be a sports medicine. I want to treat the, uh, you know, yeah. the athletes and rich and famous. So you got the stigma of, like, you're treating people with intellectual disabilities. That's because you're not good enough to treat neurotypical people. You know, the, the lack of communication, the problem of communications yeah. problems. Yeah. You got uh, patients booked all day, and now you got somebody who's uh, being brought to your office because maybe they have a limp or, or their behavior is bad now, you know, because all of a sudden they're exhibiting uh, behavioral issues. Well, a lot of times that behavioral issue is an undermined medical problem that that person can't express to you. So you get somebody who brings the patient from a group home, and you're talking to the caregiver, and the caregiver says, "Well, I just drove him here. I don't know the pro I don't know the history of the problem. I don't know when it started. I don't want it. I don't know how it manifests itself. Is it worse in the morning than at night? I don't know. Is it worse when it has activity? I don't know. And you're dealing with a nonverbal patient. So those communication problems to somebody who has a busy afternoon, they're terrible." You know, the lack of the problems in, uh, in who has ownership of this problem. You know, you see a problem with one of your patients and you need to operate them, but you need consent of a legal guardian. How do, who's going to take, who is going to Well, that's be, what I mean. You see, so, it's, so what you're describing you. is it's like, like this. That's right. It's and like, you have to make it to, here's the cookbook, pal, A, B, C, D. You took... Back in the formation of this, an individual who was supposed to get all of her teeth pulled because it's the best thing to do, a consensus of 99.9% .9 of dentists in the world, that's the best thing to do for this individual. And Steve Perlman said, no, we'll go in there, 
Here's our cookbook. We'll do general anesthesia. We'll get the right assistance, the right equipment, the right everything. We'll also contact the medical doctor to see as long as his patient's under general anesthesia, what else are we going to do? There's communication. There's a spirit. There's a goal. And guess what? Everybody likes a leader. If the leader has a good thing he wants to do. People are basically good, I feel. But they get scared when they're ignorant. And they get scared when they don't know what they're doing. And they get scared when they're not getting paid and they gotta, they have to meet their overhead, you know. And these are all things where we'll say, you know, here's how we're going to attack it. And that's what you've been doing. All I'm doing is trying to be on a soapbox to get people to listen to you because you know what you're doing. Well, you know, when we first met and you talked about your concept of neurodiversity and that every brain is like a snowflake and no two brains alike, and you hit the nail on the head and it's not that... Well, my daughter Rebecca did. I have to give her credit. And I was so proud that Rick Rader down at his giant clinic there in Chattanooga made that into a big thing when you walk in there, has Rebecca's quote, every brain is like a snowflake, no two are alike. But it goes, it goes to everything else going on now. It, goes, it really does, and I'm, I'm hoping that the year is now the end of 2016 going into 2017. Maybe we'll get the new president of the United States to wear a T-shirt that says, my brain is different. Maybe you'll get access there for Steve Perlman to go in there and get the leadership to really embrace this and tackle it. Yeah. Well, we're working with Centers for Disease Control here. And, uh, you know, we have at, at Special Big Healthy Athlete, we have a, a grant with them and because they don't have the answers. In other words, they know how many people are born with, like, spina bifida or how many people are born with Down syndrome. But they, for example, they don't know how many people have autism. But more important, how does that disability affect the quality of their life, the comorbidities and the secondary conditions? So we have the biggest with 5 million athletes throughout the world. We have the world's best database for them. Well, let me have you share part of the database that was, I don't want to say it made me happy, but it was... Aha, uh-huh. we're, we're on the right track at differentbrains.com because when the average person pictures the Special Olympics, they picture what? Down syndrome. Let's hear some of the statistics from your database. Exactly, exactly. Well, I don't have the exact statistics, Not the exact, but just I can get ballpark. it to you. But, I, but now, it used to be Down syndrome used to be our most common diagnosis. And, uh, you know, the general, you know, there are over 350 causes of intellectual disabilities. There are over 350 causes of intellectual disabilities. Um, And, uh, you know, the percentage of people, what's interesting, too, is the percentage of people with intellectual disabilities varies. In the United States, it's roughly 2.5% of the population, uh, 7.5 million. But in Asia... There's 10%. In Africa, 8 to 10% of the population. So worldwide, you're talking well over 300 million people with intellectual disabilities. Um, autism now has to be, the autism, people within the autism spectrum disorder have to be our most prevalent upcoming uh, 
prevalence of our athletes. And what's really, and, and the, you know, when Mrs. Shriver created Special Olympics, the youngest age for somebody to participate was eight. There was no upper age limit. You could be 70, 80, 90 and still participating in Special Olympics. But from being in the health trenches for all these years now, the parents and, and, and advocates have, have asked us to create an early intervention program. So we have this program now called Young Healthy Athletes, which is two to seven. And that is, I think, the future of the organization, as well as some of the other innovative things that they're doing, uh, you know, integrated sports programs called Unified Sports, where people with an intellectual disability and a, non and a neurotypical person are participating on the same team. We've tried everything to break down the barriers between neurotypical and people with snowflakes. One of the things that I was so glad to hear when I was speaking was Tim Shriver get up and say, today was one of the most important days ever in the Special Olympics. Why? Because ESPN covered it as just an interesting sporting event as opposed to this is a 60-minute special report or 2020. Right. You know, one of, the, one of the, I think, the biggest messages that we can convey is that this population doesn't need pity. Before Special Olympics, you know, Special Olympics has been credited with bringing people with intellectual disabilities out of the shadows of neglect and into the mainstream of life. But more important, to show the world what they can do rather than what they can't do. How does one of our audience find out more about you, your organization, what you do? Give them some contacts, some websites. And yeah, okay. Well, for the AADM, for Special Olympics Healthy Athletes Initiative, uh, we have seven disciplines, so people can get involved if they're in the field as a volunteer, as a leader, if they're in the field of dentistry and its auxiliaries like hygiene and assistance, in the entire field of medicine, no matter what specialty it is, in the field of hearing and language and, and, and audiologists, in the, in the of, field of physical therapists, and the field of um, health promotion. Go to Special Olympics, dot, Special Olympics Healthy Athlete Program, and each program has somebody in Washington, D.C. who runs it. And not only that, but we have Special Olympics uh, breaks the world into seven regions, and we have healthy athlete coordinators in all seven regions of the world. So whether they're in Belgium or whether they're in Israel or whether they're in the United Arab Republic, there is somebody there that you can volunteer with. So as a healthcare and, and um, as anybody in, related to any field of healthcare, in our new program, which we're in the process of developing, Hacky, and you know how hard this is going to be, but our new program is mental health. How do we, depre how do we detect depression in people with intellectual disabilities. You brought me this hat, this Boston Strong hat on the front, healthy athletes, special smiles on the side. Yeah. Model it here on my Shrek head, but I'll have to <laughs> let it out because my head's so big. 
but I want you to explain healthy athletes' special smiles. So the first, pro when I created the Healthy Athletes program for Special Olympics, Special Smiles was the first program. And, it's, and now it is the, still the largest program within the Special Olympics Healthy Athletes movement. And Boston Strong, because Hackey, uh, you had all your orthopedic training in medical school in Boston and have taught on the faculty for over 35 years. And, uh, and, and Boston Strong is the symbol that Big Poppy came out the statement after the Boston Marathon bombings and nobody did more work on that scene than orthopedic surgeons. So for you it's the perfect hat bringing in your love for neurodiversity uh, and the work that you're doing helping us in the Special Olympics movement, your Boston and your orthopedics. And I guess we should give a plug for these people on the back. Delta Dental. Delta Dental. Yeah, definitely. They help pay for, in many states in the United States, they provide financial support to the local events. You look good in the hat, Hacky. Well, it covers my Shrek hat. <laughs> <laughs> While you're out saving the world and working 80 hours a day, and I know you travel teaching all over, all over you are, what does your wonderful wife Harriet have to say about all of that? <laughs> well, after 48 years of marriage, she's basically seen it all and puts up with me. Uh, thank God we have a great dog at home that keeps her company when I travel. Although he's aging too now, and he's he's got. Uh, I'm spending more on health care for my dog than I'm spending on health care for myself, but. Uh, uh, and tell us about your know, children. Family support is great. My family has. I have two. We we are. We have two daughters. One is a nurse, and one is a special ed teacher. There's a shocker. Both helping people and doing yeah. stuff and making families of their own and everything. Yep, and I have four grandchildren, and uh, one of them has ADD and ADHD. And uh, we found the perfect thing for her. She plays ice hockey. She's the only girl on her uh, uh, only girl on her uh, junior high school team. And I love going to watch her play. And uh, you know, here's my daughter um, going through what every family, every mother has to deal with with a child with ADD, ADHD. Do they need medication? Should they take the medication only during the week and not on weekends? Way that the how does the child react to all the side effects that have it? So I don't. The, the, you know, there's no family in the in that that in the country that isn't affected by it. You know, hacky people ask me all the time, how did I get into the field? How did, how did I, what, did I have a family member or a close family member that affected me? But my turning point in my career, when I was a psych major at George Washington University, I, I got involved in a project to find work for the homebound worker who had a severe disability. And this goes back uh, 1966, so we're talking about a long time ago. And I I'm had 50. to, yeah. <laughs> I'm just I'm 70 now, but I had to interview um, I had to interview a boy who was my age. He was 21, and he had polio, 
and I had to go to a, a, a center to interview him, and he was in an iron lung. And so here I was interviewing somebody, and that could have been, you know, with the polio scares in the 60s and, and uh, the 50s, and when you went off to camp in the summer, it was like the biggest worry and stuff. And here I was interviewing somebody my age, looking at me through a mirror in an iron lung, and I said, whatever I do in my life, I've somehow got to involve doing something with people with disabilities. And that was a life-changing experience for me. And that's what we're trying to do with this work with Special Olympics and, and uh, the work with AAD&D. We're trying to give either before professional school or with professional school, we're trying to give them that aha moment that maybe this is something that they would participate in some form. Well, we've had the great pleasure today at Exploring Different Brains to be speaking with Dr. Steve Perlman, a wonderful dentist for everyone whose brain is different, the founder of the AADMD. And one of the founders. One of the founders. And you can find about their great work at www.aadmd.org. And Steve, thank you very much for being here. It's been an honor and a pleasure to have you. You are one of my all-time heroes. You changed the world. Thanks, Aggie. Appreciate it. You're the best. For more information, visit us at differentbrains.com.